0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit wholefoodsmarket.com.
2: I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. You've got a table and a resi. What comes next? Find out now on this episode of Tech Bytes. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. It is Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. I'm sitting in the backyard of Roberta's Pizza on a beautiful sunny day. And that means it's time for Tech Bites, the weekly show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. That is not kitchen cooking technology. We do not talk about immersion circulators and calcium alginates. That's the Dave Arnold show, Cooking Issues. You should check him out if you have questions for the kitchen. We talk about food tech, which is digital app and web. And today that technology is a little app called Resi, and we are joined today in studio by Resi co-founder and CEO, Ben Leventhal. Hello. Hi. Now, the really fun thing about having Ben Leventhal here is the first time I met Ben Leventhal was a good 10 years ago, and we were sitting in the backyard of a little place called Five Ninth. And here we are, like a decade later, in the backyard of another kind of cool little out-of-the-way hotspot restaurant. Uh, Still kind of talking about sort of the same things-ish, but we're the 2.0 versions now.
3: Industry survival, just a different, different version of it.
2: Yeah. Well, I live in Chelsea, and I've been there for about 20 years, and Barney's just reopened. So I think if you... You know, it's like that old Buddhist saying, if you sit by the river long enough, you know, everybody, your enemies, everybody That's right. always will come by again. So I kind of feel like we have that moment. Um, but I'm really happy to have you here so we can catch up over a little bit of the last 10 years. Because I think so much of food tech today is an exciting experiment by a lot of people who have not lived the first generation of food tech. And context... As we were just saying, it's always helpful. Also joining us today, we have in the Mission Control booth, as always, Jack Inslee, our executive producer of Heritage Radio, DJ, most recently in Miami, Full Service Radio, also show host, Full Service Radio on Thursday nights at 7.30, followed by Gunwash at 9. Hey, Jen. How are you?
1: I'm doing well.
2: You played in Miami this weekend. I
1: sure did. I've got I got the sunburn to prove it.
2: You got sunburn from being in a club at 2 o'clock in the yes. morning?
1: <laughs> no, next day.
2: Next day? Was it one yeah. of those
1: sunrise sessions? There was a nap involved. <laughs> yeah, it was great, though. I always have a blast down there. Very, very welcome escape. Although it was a very nice
3: weekend here in New York as well.
2: It was. It was 50 degrees on Saturday. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, welcome back. Glad you had fun. Thank
3: you. I was in Miami this weekend, too, actually. Were you
2: doing Sunrise Session DJs, too?
3: I was not. It was a uh, friend's bachelor party, actually.
2: So you, but you were in the clubs.
3: We went to a place called El Tucan. El Tucan, which was great. Latin Cabaret. Opened in October. It's the kind of place you go to and you wish that New York had one. Or you wish your hometown had one.
2: Yeah. Where would it be if it was in New York? Would it be Senior Froggy?
3: No, no, this is uh super old school, um, very, very classy, very well done. It's actually designed by Robert McKinley, right, who designs who's sort of one of emerging one of the iconic designers. Surf Lodge was his I think big break. And it is it's a Latin variety show, which means everything from uh juggling to a saxophone player who essentially covered disco music at the end of the night. Sounds amazing. Amazing and wacky and Again, one of those places you go to, and you just kind of wish you had one.
2: It sounds reminiscent of the Havana nightclubs. Was it kind of like that? Sort exactly of a, like Havana, Cuban, that yep. golden age, nineteen fifties, big reviews.
3: That's the uh, that's the inspiration for it.
2: Sounds like you were at a classy bachelor party.
3: I like to keep it classy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, I, I check the explicit box on iTunes, so feel free to you know just relax and let it let it all hang out also joining us today back in the booth we have david
4: who Hello. is our Hello.
2: brand brand spanking new fresh out of the box lead engineer studio manager so Welcome fresh board thank you super fresh
4: super fresh yes. he still
2: has that new car smell
4: i do <laughs> <laughs> it'll wear off soon
2: i hope not <laughs> it's a small space yeah. we want you to smell fresh as long as possible indeed we start off every episode of Tech Bites like a good meal, where we talk about apps that we like, apps that we love, new ones, old ones. The only rule is that you're not allowed to talk about an app that you own or work on, because we'll get to that later. And we're going to check in with Jack first to see how his 30-day fitness app, workout app, is going.
1: It's uh, it's going. It didn't really go this weekend, so I'm stuck on uh, stuck on 65. Took the weekend off.
2: Are you restarting again, or are you gonna? No, I'm just, just gonna. I'm just gonna
1: pick it back up. I'm not restarting again.
2: For right now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I appreciate you checking in with me on this. It's keeping me on task. But, but today I do. I, I'm really excited to announce that uh, I've broke through. I've uh, and I'm. I'm Snapchatting. <gasps> yeah. Did it. I'm in. Wow. It's uh, not safe for work, my first story. But um, Excellent.
2: So, Jack, what is your Snapchat handle so people listening can get right on that?
1: Just my name, Jack Inslee.
2: Spell Inslee for people.
1: I-N-S-L-E-E. So, yeah, I I, uh, I figured it out. So uh, I'm, I'm excited.
2: How'd you do that? How'd you figure it out?
1: Just put in the work, you know.
2: You just put in the work. Did you have Odetta's little sister help you?
1: No. <laughs> there <laughs> Actually, there were a bunch of delays in our travel itinerary. Um so it just gave me, you know, I was kind of bored and then played around in the app and yeah, there were, you know what it was actually, Jen, there, there are a few swipe directions that weren't immediately obvious to me. So navigating around throughout the app, it wasn't so obvious for me, but yeah, you swipe right and then you're to the stories page, swipe left and there's the ad front, you know, so that that was the secret for me, but yeah, happy well, to announce I'm in.
2: Exciting. Exciting, You just and you just sort of like rejuvenated yourself a little bit in social media.
1: That's right. I feel alive again. I feel reborn.
2: <laughs> what happened to Peach?
1: Peach is dead. Crickets. I really can't <laughs> believe it. I really, really thought it had a chance. I'm on Peach. Are you? I'm going to add you then.
3: But it's a bit of an empty room. I
1: know, it is. Sadly. <laughs> I've got one picture of pasta here in my ben, profile. Ben, you usually I'm have a bolognese I made.
4: You
2: usually have a good instinct for the social media do you think peaches do you think people are coming they're just waiting to be fashionably late
3: i don't have a good enough feel for it yet um i think that there's kind of, kind of some interesting assumptions that they're making i think uh um i like some of the way, some of the ways they allow you to package up um sort of metadata uh but i think it's uh it's an open question remains to be seen
2: tbd okay TBD. david do you have an app that you like right now
4: um I, i haven't used this one in a while but i thought about it recently um did you ever use sleep cycle no the idea is that it's supposed you put it next to you while you sleep and it's supposed to monitor your heart rate or some i'm not sure exactly what readings it's taking but then the idea is that it only wakes you up within a certain time range where you're like coming out of a sleep cycle and the idea is you're supposed to be less groggy as a result. I have no idea what the scientific yeah, base is.
1: I can jump in. They, they leave the microphone on, so they track like, movements and sounds throughout the night. I think they try to do a little bit of figuring out through that. But so I, I'm
2: going to tell you to delete that app immediately. <laughs> yeah. Go back into the Tech Bytes on-demand log and scroll back to last year and listen to the disconnect your from your tech episode with... Mm-hmm paul alexander it's episode 39 he says you should not be sleeping with your phone in a radius that's less than six to seven feet because of the radio waves and the network and everything that connects it that that shouldn't be like coursing through your body when your body is supposed to be trying to get some sleep
4: that's kind of exactly why i stopped using it (laughs) because it occurred to me but also i have no idea how you know it seems like maybe kind of a snake oil type thing. Could I, don't, be. I don't know if it's.
2: He recommends you keep your phone in, in the other room and charge it up in the other room and just use a regular alarm clock because mm-hmm. all those radio waves are not really good for the human body. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's great if you're trying to download foundation, but you know, formation. <laughs> but it's not good if you're trying to sleep. Right. So. The app Ben is not allowed to talk about, but can now talk about, is Resi, which came onto the scene two years ago, 2014. And it was a fun moment in food tech, because when it came out, people had these really intense, visceral reactions about it. It was basically a service that you downloaded for free and signed up for, and it allowed you to make reservations at restaurants. Really great restaurants at prime time. And, you know, it was sort of like on demand pricing, like airplanes and hotels and things like that, where if it was a really great restaurant at a really great time, you had to kind of pay a little more for it. And wow, people just took to the streets with that. It was either they thought the apocalypse was coming because how dare you put a price on hospitality which is something that restaurants do because they love it and they love their patrons. And the flip side of that coin was like, yeah, I'm willing to pay for that. I don't have a problem with that. Restaurants could use some extra money. They kind of don't have any money. So sure, I'll throw some money into the pot. And that furor went on, I think, for quite some time. Were you surprised by that?
3: I think it was a fairly polarizing idea. I mean, it's not polarizing to restaurants to uh, the idea that they could potentially... Maximize profits at based on the times uh, that the restaurant was most full. Right? I mean, that's the principle that guides lots of industries to healthy profitability. Is that when you have things where demand is quite flexible and and is is variant one night or one period to the next, you want to maximize your profits at the times where the things are in the highest demand. So to say to restaurants, here's an opportunity to maximize prime time in the same way that uh, airlines and hotels and sports arenas do it Um, not particularly controversial in principle I think that the thing that we're always thinking about and as we build new technology into an existing and quite established industry is how do we marry technology with the sort of guiding principles of the industry and in this case obviously hospitality is, is the consumer facing guiding principle you know guiding set of rules and so Um, we continue to think about how do we marry technology and business thinking to hospitality. And so, you know, pricing seats, um, we found that two out of 10 people loved it, two out of 10 people hated it, and everyone else was sort of indifferent. indifferent. Okay, maybe I won't do that. I kind of get it. I see what you're doing. I get it. It's airlines, it's hotels. Not for me. Um, Two out of 10 people love it, and Continue to continue to like that access and continue to book over and over again. And two out of ten people, it's not for them.
2: So you spent a good portion of the last ten years being a person who, in the food and technology space with Eater, as one of the original founders and one of the original, original writers and posters back when you started, you were quite good at stirring the pot and creating controversy and putting two sides of the coin onto the table and then kind of stepping back and letting the public just, you know, go to town on it. Did you, and I think always enjoyed that a little bit because that was kind of part of the fun. And I think when you would hit publish on some of your posts, you knew that would exactly be the thing that happened. Did you have the same sort of fun and enjoyment of watching the discussions and people take sides?
3: Well, I think I'm always happy to be somebody who's not the most popular if there's progress to be made, and we can make some progress, I don't, I don't need people to love the things that I'm saying or the things that I'm building. But um, if they can propel the industry forward, I'm happy to put them out on the table. And so, I don't get a particular. I love, I love the discourse. I love, you know, a healthy conflict that that leads to new ideas, and that per, perhaps evolves people's thinking. Um, the conflict per se, doesn't drive me, but some of the things that we do are, you know, lend themselves to conflict, and in those cases, I'm I'm, I'm I'm perfectly comfortable with the debate.
2: Well, to a certain extent, one could argue that if people don't notice, or it doesn't make a wave, or there isn't a big discourse, then it's sort of, is it just kind of marginal, or nobody's really paying attention, and, and that's not quite the effect one would want. If you're looking to push forward and make change. I think change always comes with some kind of brouhaha.
3: Well, and I also think for hospitality and for restaurants, an interesting characteristic of the industry is that while in the kitchen, they're, you know chefs are very progressive, operations- Chefs rest- are
2: very progressive in the kitchen.
3: Yeah. In terms of- Well, there's there's lots of chefs who are pushing the envelope, who are trying to think about new things, who are trying to cook in new ways plate things differently, present things differently, create new environments. But it turns out on the operation side, the industry has been steady state for quite a long time. And in fact, that's part of the reason why it seems like out of nowhere, there's this moment of technology explosion, because the industry was steady state for so much longer than it should have been, that the void, the technology void was got conspicuous. But I, so, but I think to your point, you know, no, nobody nobody really is trying to I should say nobody really has the time or the bandwidth to focus on pushing the envelope and being progressive I think in terms of uh, in terms of business format uh, and so there's now some third parties that are compelling people to do that.
2: It's an interesting thing that you know the restaurant industry is ironically, on the one hand, to your point, very innovative from the kitchen side, the food side. Let's make some new stuff. Let's eat things we've never eaten before, or change the context of them. But the tech side has always been very low and slow to evolve. And I often say that the tech level of restaurants is pencil on cocktail napkin. And has been for a long time. And the thing that has kind of flummoxed me a little bit is we as human beings have so much technology in our lives, you know, the smartphone that's under our pillow going to tell us when to wake up and, you know, all of that. But when people go to work at a restaurant, when they cross the threshold, so much of what they take for granted and do every day kind of almost seems to go out the window. And part of, I think, the difficulty in evolution right now is that there are so many third-party people and there are so many different companies and there is such an explosion in tech That there's so much for restaurants to consider that it's almost, I think it is overwhelming. I don't think it's almost overwhelming. I think restaurants are overwhelmed by the magnitude of technology that's out there, starting from their system all the way to social media. Do I need to be on Snapchat? Do I need to be on Facebook? Do I need one of these payment service payment systems? What's the chip? Am I ticketing? you could spend all day in meetings just taking sales calls from food tech businesses. So how do you, I think maybe a a good place for us to start is now that the furor has died down over paying for reservations, I don't think people really seem too upset about that anymore.
3: Well, nor is it really what we're doing anymore. I mean, to be clear, Resi is now a a technology platform and we're powering all kinds of hospitality systems for the restaurant and you know, 10% of our total volume of seats, which is 250000 in February, is is going to be paid.
2: So the technology side, I think before we can even start to talk about the interesting things that Resi is laying down and, and building a foundation for to move forward, I think we almost have to, like, back up and, and walk people through it. I have so much feedback from listeners and people in the industry, you know, at heart, when people open a restaurant, we go back to that hospitality, you know, we're here at Roberta's. They're thinking about making really good pizza and maybe they're going to make some really good, you know, charcuterie to put on top of the pizza and where are they going to get the wood from, from the oven. And they're thinking about their product and the love and the experience for their customer and they're not really thinking about all this technology like where do you even start (laughs) as a as a food and restaurant person because admittedly all of this other technology that's like a whole job that's a specialty that's tech and it and
3: It, it is a job and in fairness it's a job that very few restaurants can afford can afford to fill you know to have somebody on staff full time um you know we we spend a lot of time with our customers and our customers at restaurant, with our restaurants uh, and potential potential partners. And we say that you should think about the technology stack in the same way that you think about the kitchen, right? You're going to build the kitchen around the things that you plan on doing in the restaurant, things you plan on cooking, right? So do you need a plancha? Do you need a lot of deep frying capacity, right? Are you going to be doing a lot of grilled foods? Um, in the same way that you're building the kitchen, right, to the sort of – to, to to cater to the things that you 're going to be serving, um, I think that you now have the opportunity and, and the ability to do the same thing with the technology now, obviously, the kitchen comes sort of more more naturally to people who are opening restaurants you think because They're they 're sort more understand familiar the with they understand the equipment exactly right, right. So, so part of it is just generally familiarizing yourself with the quote unquote equipment of, of the technology stack right and so some of that 's research. Some of that's listening to programs like this. I'm sure the transcripts of this show would be super useful to people who are trying to figure out what their technology stack looks like. Um, part of it is having conversations with your colleagues and with the restaurant across the street and with the people in the industry that you trust because um, you know now there are quite a lot of systems out there. But I think it ultimately comes down to two things. One is pick the things that you need and don't pick the things that you don't need Um, and understand how each of the things in your technology, technology stack are going to drive business and going to speak to the business plan, right? So Roberta's is a great example. Roberta's has dug in their heels and is for the most part, no reservations, right? Okay. So what does that mean for a high volume restaurant? Well, it does mean you're going to need a way to manage a waiting list, right? So let's start with that. What does the waiting list technology look like? What are my options, right? Am I going to go with a pure waiting list, um, platform like uh like no wait am i going to go with a system that allows for some reservations right another interesting characteristic at roberta's is there's different formats here blanca is uh, a super high-end prepaid experience most of the restaurant is
2: with reservations online with
3: reservations online most of the restaurant is is first come first up serve a la carte right so i can get a system that can do both of those things Right, but it means me understanding what are the different component parts of my restaurant, and what do I need for each of those component parts. And so, what what do I need? What ideally, if I could articulate articulate ideally what this technology would do, what does that look like? And generally speaking, if you can if you can articulate what it is that you need, you can go and find something. You know, this restaurant also is one of my favorites, by the way. And one of the things that this rest that sets this restaurant apart is that there's a ton of focus on brand and personality and content, right? And so here's a great example of a restaurant that kind of needs to think about content distribution in the technology business plan, right? How am I gonna get my content message out there, right? So that probably means for this restaurant, and by the way, lots of restaurants don't need this, but it probably means for this restaurant, okay, let me think about, let me play around with Snapchat and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Medium because I'm going to need to get my, my content message out there somehow. So I think it's, a, it's really about breaking your business in, into component parts, just the way like you look at a menu, you look at the way you're gonna, you want to cook, and you put things in the kitchen accordingly. Break the business down. Am I going to be relying on walk-ins? Am I going to be relying on delivery? Right? Am I going to be using content to acquire new users? Break those things down, figure out what it, what it is that you're really trying to do, and then find some systems that work for you.
2: I think that's a great analogy to think about your technology, building your technology the same way you would build your kitchen based on what you need. People, I think one of the most intimidating things about technology is that people don't necessarily understand you can build to what you want and you can customize what you want and you can get the services that you want. It's almost like social media a lot of times. People say, do I need to be on Snapchat? And it's like, well, what's your target audience? If your target audience is 15-year-old girls, yeah, you definitely need to be on Snapchat. If your target audience is 55-year-old women, you don't. So there is very much, I think, um, one thing that we tell people over and over again is that technology is very specific to need. And it is very much like the kitchen. Get the right tool for the right job. Um, That's a great way of looking at it, to sit down and think about your business plan and how you're going to transact business throughout the day. I think another really helpful way to start to pull out what those things could be is also to think about who your customer is and then think about how they would have the experience with your restaurant just on any given day. You know, you're sitting... In your office, you're like, wow, I'd really like to have some Roberta's pizza. Let me see if the L train is running. Okay, (laughs) that's good. Let me get on the train. Let me go. Okay, I'm here. And you know, if you walk through the steps of what you imagine your customer is going to do, you can find those touch points of the wait list program, the credit card, the this, the POS, all those kinds of things.
3: And I think another, uh, I totally agree. And I think another question that you should be asking about your customers is where am I going to find them? Yep. Right. Because that also, to your point about Snapchat, okay, if my customers, you know, if my customers are, 25 to 45 midtown office employees well that's kind of a different demographic and they are in a different place online and in the world than you know um freelancers in bushwick
2: absolutely freelancers in bushwick are already here (laughs) the people in midtown i'm sorry you're probably at work in midtown right now and in that note this is a perfect moment for a break to find out who our working sponsors are for the show, Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3. We rely entirely on our sponsors and members.
1: And
4: this is Better All the Time by Zuli.
1: Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you.
2: Well, if you're wondering what the hell you just clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today that technology is a company called Resi, and it started out two years ago as an app for finding and paying for reservations at great restaurants, and it has evolved and is evolving into... What I think the founders hope will be the next generation of better technology for restaurants. One of the things that we were talking about in the break, um, technology is such a specific thing. It used to be when you opened a business, you you know got a phone line and made sure you were in the yellow pages. Or when you rented a new apartment or moved into a new house... You called the phone company and got a landline, and maybe you called the cable company and, and, you know, had somebody come out and put a box on top of your TV so, you know, you could watch VH1. But now all of that has changed. I don't have a landline in my apartment. I don't know if you do. Nope. A lot of restaurants and food businesses open without landlines. They open with cell phones. They open with, you know, websites. Not even sometimes, maybe just a Facebook page. So the world, the landscape of of the world has changed. I often say that, you know, the new Yellow Pages is the app store because that's how people find you. But how do you start if you're a food person who just is really concerned about making beautiful, amazing food and creating a great environment? How do you even start? How do you find reliable vendors? That's something that we talked about. We did a a systems boot camp show where one of the questions was, how do you know the person you're talking to is going to be reliable and give you the best answer? Because there are a lot of second and third party selling stuff. There are startup companies who don't actually have products; they're just looking for traction and names to put into a sales kit. So, what do you what do you, what do, you do? Like, I'm I'm opening up a little pizza place.
3: I mean, it's a great question, and and. One of the reasons that this is an interesting moment and, uh, and um, one of somewhat, sort of somewhat chaotic is that we don't have a lot of good uh, infrastructure for making choices about technology. Um, and so one of the things that we spend a lot of time doing is not so much selling to restaurants, but helping restaurants understand how to make choices and how to pick and being aware of the choices that are available to them. Um, you know, we have some basic questions that we advise anyone who's going to sign up for Resi or any other system to ask from, you know, who's the team involved? Do they have the chops to actually pull off the thing they say they're going to? Who's using the product today? Right. That's a super important one. This Is it road tested? Is it in the field? Is it, is, is there a track record of success yet at restaurants that are like mine or uh, with restaurateurs that I trust? Um, and then, of course, have I seen the product live? Right um, to your point, a lot of the things that are being sold right now are alpha beta products. They're based on they could be based on designs, and the thing might not even be live yet. So, we tell our restaurants that that are considering new stuff, try it out. Don't take the demo for granted that everything they show you in the demo is going to work. Try it out. You know, either either ask them for a referral and go and see it in a new, another restaurant or get, a, get a, uh, you know, a full build of the piece of software and try it out yourself.
2: So I wonder when you are talking to restaurants about Resi, how many steps back do you have to go to talk to them about technology to then get to the place where you can articulate why Resi is so much different from the competition. It's almost like to, and I'm really liking the analogy from kitchen to technology. It's almost like, you know, when I learned to cook in France, we got whole animals in. And if you had rack of lamb on the menu, you got a whole lamb in. And part of your job was to turn a whole lamb into lamb chops. And so much of where we are now, I think in the world, it's people are used to getting, you know, Lamb chops in like a cryovac bag, and you just open up the bag, and there they are. Do you have to sort of take them all the way back to the farm and like build
3: up through? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, we try to understand the pain points. It's different in every conversation. I mean, in some cases, yes, we do, right? In some cases, what we're dealing with is just a simple lack of awareness about what's possible and what what's happened, right? In the in the twenty years since open table was was you know the was was the new the new shiny piece of software,
2: which nobody thought necessarily was really going to work or got what it was about. And it was like a weird thing back then, too.
3: No question about it. I mean, change is uncomfortable in a place where, like we were saying, where steady state is the goal, right? You want to just, you did good business last night, you want to do that again, right? So you're just looking for steady state. And so change is sometimes uncomfortable. And we're in one of those moments again. But in some cases, we're saying, look, you may not even know this, but for example, you can do ticketing and reservations on the same system, and you don't have to port stuff from Eventbrite over to your floor plan manually every day, right? You may not even know there's a system that does those those things together. And in other cases, we just start by understanding what the pain points are, because those vary restaurant to restaurant too. You know, um, what are the things about? your systems or even just your operations in general that are that are kind of driving you crazy. You know, we're having a conversation with a restaurant right now that's very exciting because they have a lot they're having a lot of pain around just communication among the wine staff, right? How do we how do we deliver hospitality on our, against our wine program when you know, the cellar is two stories down and there's no line of sight to the rest of the team necessarily when you're pulling a bottle and you have a big wine drinker on table 12. And is it a you-
2: geography problem?
3: It's a geography pl- problem. It's a technology problem. It's a um, hospitality problem. Like those are the kinds of, you know, big kind of bulky problems that we're trying to solve. But a lot of times we're understanding pain points. We're, we're, we're doing education.
2: Do you find that you are educating people all the way up to things like, you know, compliancy on the new credit card systems and financing that are just part and parcel of, you know, doing business in the world today, but because of the nature of what you sell, are you educating people about other current events (laughs) in the retail world? I mean, I think that
3: restaurateurs are actually quite savvy about their business problems today. I mean, I think... You know, that's that's the, that's the great news for us. And, and, and so in many cases, we look to the restaurants to educate us about what their pain points are, and we want to build against those things. You know, PCI compliance is a really interesting one and super hairy today because there's issues around who has the liability, and those have just shifted, uh, and that's against a backdrop of new technology, right? So that's really one where there's tons of moving parts. Um, but we really want to understand... What is, a, what is the essential pain here, right? So, for example, we're building now, and we'll release it in, couple, in a couple of weeks, 100% secure third-party credit card handling, right? You want to send your friend a bottle of wine uh, who's celebrating her birthday, but you're not there. Today, that either involves um, a completely unsecure phone call yes. or a credit card authorization form, which is clunky, right? So that's, a, that's an example of something the restaurants came to us and said, look, this is a pain point for us help us fix it. And so we're going to build against that.
2: What's the most interesting problem you've come up against that you've been asked to solve? Something well, that you question. wouldn't have, that you would not have expected.
3: That's a great question. Uh, what is the most interesting? Well, I think that one of the interesting things that we found, and this is not specific to a restaurant, I'm, I'll, when I think of something more interesting, I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll say it. Because
2: the but, restaurant world is a crazy place, well, well, and there has to be some well, no, crazy the, the, stuff the happening. The most interesting
3: thing that we've found is that every single restaurant is different. Every, even among the best operators in the country, they do things differently. And so the most interesting thing that we've found certainly is that we really can't – the idea of a, of a system that's one size fits all is a complete fantasy. Uh, and and frankly, it's probably one of the ways a lot of a lot of the more legacy systems have sort of failed is that they so they make this one size fits all assumption. But the thing that we see over and over again is that restaurants are just they really are unique one to the next, and the systems that work at one don't work at at, at, the, at the next. And so um, a lot of our, a lot of what we're doing is just is trying to figure out how to build a system that's scalable to suit them all.
2: Well, I think somehow or another the restaurant world is going to have to come up to be in the same tech arena as the people who work there. We're so used to doing so much with our technology in our personal lives. It's just it's just mind-boggling sometimes when you walk into a restaurant and I think, you know, your point about sending someone sending someone a drink or a bottle of wine or a cake or picking up the check and you'd have to have a phone conversation with someone for the with the credit card. You know, I got a PDF for a credit card. <laughs> Applic- not application, but a credit card form to reserve a table where I had to put my credit card, you know, on there and then send it, and it it just felt a little strange.
3: I mean, every time you think you've you've accounted for all of the moving parts of a restaurant, you discover another thousand, and I think that that's like, it, you know, that form is so strange given the given the technology that exists and sort of the logic of a, a broader logic. But if you dig into the restaurant's operations, you suddenly realize, well, huh, they may not, that there hasn't been a better system than that until today.
2: So historically, you have always been a huge fan of restaurants. I remember the first time I encountered you in the food tech space was when you were writing a little blog called She Loves New York, which was, seems like just ages ago. It was almost like, the younger male counterpart to Sex in the City. Like take that. if Carrie Bradshaw <laughs> when she had first gotten off the bus was a guy and had somebody like 10 years older than her who was going to take him under his wing and explain the city to him. It was kind of like that. It was very personal, it was very tongue-in-cheek, but it was also very much like Sex in the City was a love affair with New York very much I think You love New York City restaurants,
3: right? Unconditionally, unequivocally.
2: And so it very much had that feel and, you know, the detail. And one of the things that's so wonderful about the Internet is you get to dive deep into the crazy little details of a really specific subject. And then you went on and you did that at Eater relentlessly (laughs) to the point that people hated you. You were so relentless with it sometimes, the detail over and over and over again, right? Sure. Does that interest in like the minutiae and the detail over and over again serve you well in the product space?
3: I think it, I think it does. in so much as we, we want to foster people's love of restaurants. One of our core values, you know, we want to drive value to restaurants. We want to, as we say, create profound value for restaurants, but we also want to foster, fosters people's love of restaurants. It's very important to us to understand, to, 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 represent that that's people's relationships to restaurants at best is they love them for places of escape uh they're places of sustenance places they're social places people people love restaurants and want to love restaurants and what we want to do is facilitate that relationship
2: is there anything that you've discovered being now on the business side of restaurants sort of getting up from the banquet and walking into the back <laughs> office. Is there anything that you've discovered or seen or has it become a job that's made you less enthralled with restaurants now that you get to see the inner workings?
3: I, I, you know, it's actually given me a lot more respect for the industry. I mean, if you, if, if we're you know, super, super close observers of the things that I put on the internet, and I'm maybe me and, and my wife are the only ones, but you know, I've actually taken a somewhat hostile uh, approach to some of the things that Eater have, has done recently, and and it's because I, as being on the other side, being more in the back office, I think I have an even deeper respect for how hard the industry is, for how hard it is to run a business, uh, a restaurant business, um, and I have certainly more awareness of of the issues and the challenges, um, you know, that restaurants face not just in New York. We love to talk about how hard it is to run a restaurant business in New York, but those issues in other forms exist in any city, in any place that you're running a restaurant. Uh, So it's just, it's created, in me, I think, even more respect for what what restaurateurs are doing day in and day out.
2: I I am curious to know, though, how you did wind up on the product side, though. You spent so much time on the diner side, just observing and talking and, and being a part of it, and you've always been... You know, one to put out a voice and, and content, you know, that was always different and a little bit, you know, of a front runner. I'm surprised that you turned into a product guy. Well,
3: I think, you know, we, we were talking about this a couple of days ago and I thought about it a little bit. I, I think that in the universe of apps, I mean, I think product is content in a lot of ways. It's, it's how you're, you know, it, it product drives a relationship between the user and the technology. And, um, in the sort of similar way, I think that voice uh, and design do for content, and those were always the things that I focused on the most at Eater's. Is, is the voice and the and, and the brand and, and sort of our point of view. Uh, and um, I think about product the same way. What what's the point of view here? What's the real? What do we really want to be saying um, with with this product, with this feature, with this button? Um, so I, I I think it draws on a similar skill set, but Maybe not.
2: Knowing what you know now about restaurants being more a part of the business side and seeing more of the aches and pains and you think back to your time writing at Eater, is there anything that you look at differently in hindsight, knowing what you know now about restaurants? Is there something you would have wanted to write about and didn't, something you wish maybe you didn't hit publish, just knowing now inside (laughs) intimately what you know? Which I no, did not I don't. Back then.
3: I, don't uh, I don't have any regrets about any of the stuff that that I wrote on Eater or that we that we published uh, on Eater. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change it. I think. I think that uh, I'm incredibly proud of you know where we started with Eater and where it's wound up, and uh, and to the extent that some of that stuff was controversial, I think it's brought. It's led to good, healthy, uh, and, and um, productive conversation
2: well it was controversial but it was also very fun it was also very fun for sure i appreciate you saying that oh absolutely you know we used to have conversations about it i remember one of um one of the last big conversations about what to publish and what not to publish because even though i mean i think what people may not necessarily realize is that back in the early days of blogging even though there was like a lot of you know snark and fun and and that kind of thing. It, it all really was very much about a love for restaurants. Do you remember the conversation we had about whether or not to publish the Bruni List?
3: <laughs> we had so many good conversations. <laughs> Remind me, or give me. Give me the, give give me, me a reminder. I'll, I'll quickly recall it.
2: Well, there was a document that was being passed around the restaurants. So it was an ah, old-fashioned word list. document. And right, it was, the, right, it was right, called right, the Bruni right. List. And it was couple of photos, headshots of him ah, while he was I a critic at the one. Times. It was we, a list we were of on, names. We, were on,
3: we didn't agree on this one.
2: No, we did not. <laughs> we did not agree on this one. But it was the names and the phone numbers that he – the pseudonyms that he had used and the phone numbers for the reservations. Be, and they would – restaurants well, would add to it and pass it around as new people were opening as a sort of service to the industry to sort of help people get the edge.
3: And, and by the way, today there is no such thing as an anonymous critic.
2: Of course not. Well, there kind of wasn't back then.
3: Well, that was Eater's—that was Eater's point, right? right. Is that Eater's ulti- ultimately set up as a consumer publication, and we're a consumer advocate, and that, and and all of the and all of the controversy and all of the, the you know, the extent to which restaurateurs disliked the things that we were publishing, essentially stemmed from the fact that we were a consumer advocate and not a restaurant advocate. We loved restaurants. I nothing was more fun than me. For me then telling the stories of the great restaurateurs, that was, that was the thing that I really loved most and telling the stories of how we would get obsessed with restaurants. But at the end of the day, my, my sort of filter on all of it is, well, people are going to spend their, their hard-earned money at these restaurants. We'd kind of like to do everything we can to make sure they get their money's worth. Absolutely. Um, and so the Bruni <laughs> the list, so that's a good one. The Bruni list was us just us saying, well, this whole setup of critics is absurd. They're not even anonymous anymore, and if they think that they are, or they want to, they want to, you know, parade around as anonymous. Well, that's that's not going to be that easy. Consumers and that was ten under- years ago, and consumers should understand that that's not the reality, mm-hmm. right? And 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 just because there's a wink and a nod between the restaurant and the critics, and they let them be quote unquote anonymous. If that's going to ultimately create a situation where Bruni's experience doesn't match the consumers, well, that's kind of something that we should we should put on the table. So you (laughs) fruity list.
2: (laughs) I I still have it. I can send it to you if you want. Um, So advocate for the consumer. Are you still advocate for consumer now? Advocate for restaurant for sure. With I'm an
3: advocate for the industry. I'm an advocate for um, progress. Um, I think that technology has tremendous potential to completely change um, the the restaurant experience in terms of hosp- hospitality and also in terms of the business model. And so I'm really an advocate for progress. And I think that means – for Resi, that means being a tremendous advocate of both the restaurant and the consumer. And the good news is we don't have to pick a side um, because what we're trying to do is build something that – that serves and, and, and enhances the relationship between those two groups:
2: Do you think that it's going to be like a hard push for restaurants to get through this tech evolution, but then when they get to the other side, it'll actually be I think it'll actually be easier and more efficient and more economical for them if they can figure it out, and make it through the hump without getting burned with you know bad vendors and that kind of thing?
3: I think that I think a lot of the hard part. Has been done in the last two years by the by the restaurants that were willing to be on the bleeding edge. I think we're actually kind of entering phase two now, where there's a, there, where there's adoption um, from some of the bigger operators, and we're sort of seeing products like Resi are running at a much bigger scale than they were um, a year ago. So I think we're actually in phase two now, but. This is tremendously good news for the restaurant. In five years, it's going to be a much more integrated technology stack. The systems are going to talk to each other, and you're going to pay 10% what you're paying today. So that's tremendously good news for the restaurant.
2: And good news for restaurants is good news for all of us. One of the things that we forget so much, but it's so important when we think about support your neighborhood and your local business and all those things, that's your restaurant. It's not just about you and the experience that you have with the food, but it's also about... Restaurants support so many people from the, you know, laundry company that takes care of the linens and, you know, the tablecloths to the farmers and the vendors and our winemakers. There's, there's a lot of people that restaurants carry. So anything that can help them in such a tenuous business is really, really progress, I think. No, there's
3: no question. I mean, a great example of that. I didn't. <laughs> we're going to bring go back to the paid reservations for a second, but the way that McNally restaurants use paid reservations is they make a. Last year they donated more than ten thousand dollars to City Harvest just based on premium table reservations, right? So that's right there a huge improvement to their business model that they can give back in that way, uh, using the technology in essence, right? That's what we're looking for.
2: So the McNally restaurants. That's the Minetta Tavern, ta- Tavern, Balthazar.
3: Context. Minetta Tavern, Balthazar Uh, yeah. Schillers, Schillers.
2: closed pasties, coming back soon. We hope. We hope, we say, on (laughs) Gansfort, so they say. I think he should take the old Florent space and put pasties into Florent because it's now empty.
0: Keith McNally,
2: if you're listening, the Florent space, pasties, it would be the great melding of (laughs) classic New York French meatpacking bistro.
3: That would be poetic.
2: Yeah, it really would be like a perfect storm, I think. That's a great segue into the last thing I like to do with every guest is ask them for a piece of advice for our listeners, um, something actionable that they can use. And one of um, Tech Byte's very regular, loyal listeners is going to be planning a wedding soon. And you kind of live the ultimate New York City restaurant life. You had your wedding at Balthazar, I Keith McNally restaurant. True story. I've only seen that restaurant actually close once or twice and that was when it's, New York City has been declared a state of emergency because of weather. <laughs> how did you have your wedding at Balthazar and how do you recommend someone goes about having their wedding or a private event at a seemingly impossible destination?
3: The, the only reason that happened is because um, I'm fortunate enough to to have you know something of a relationship with, with Keith McNally, the owner of the restaurant. Um he and I struck up a relationship in the early eater days uh, in fact, you know in the early eater days, Mirandi and Schiller's were were lock Locke and i's uh two really base of operations we, we alternated and so we we spent some time in the restaurants and got to know Keith a little bit and it was just a it, it, it ultimately was me asking the owner of my favorite restaurant if I could have my wedding there. And so the only thing I could say in terms of recommendation, I, you don't get your hopes up, but if you have a restaurant that's really your favorite one and you tell the owner it's your favorite one, you might be able to get it for your wedding.
2: Plus if you're a regular.
3: <laughs> yeah, if you're a regular. I mean, listen, that, that regulars are the restaurant's lifeblood, right? So if you are a regular, the, the owner is going to do everything he can for you.
2: So support your restaurant with love and maybe it'll support you back
3: i think i think that's exactly right and 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 i think you'll have you'll find that that's a fruitful approach
2: yeah that's very good simple advice and it's also pretty good advice outside the restaurant world also if you like something be a repeat customer give them repeat business go in say hi talk to the people talk to the owner um it'll be a great experience for you and a great experience for them
3: i actually think that the, one of the most important ways that restaurants have changed in the last 5 years is that we've gone back to like the old mo- you know we've gone back to a model that's the last cycle was 10 or 15 or 20 years ago where it was all about the regular and all about the places you go to all the time when the first couple of years of Eater, we happened to be in a moment where we were obsessed with new shiny things. Yes. We had some conversations about how, well, how do you open a restaurant and have it be organic? Right In like 2008, the challenge was, how do we even open this place and have, it be an or, or right. have there be organic growth where the neighbors come in first and we get to work out where the it's kinks, not the big pop right? of
2: everybody running to get in first and then they never come back.
3: And that was completely- You do it without, you do
2: it without a publicist.
3: I mean, there's That's all what kinds was. of things. Can you, you know, open
2: without a, if you open without PR? So you're not on Eater. If you could try and open up under the radar and not be on Eater, maybe you have a shot.
3: And, and I think you have a more of a shot today because I think that we're going back to we're back to people valuing uh, the play, You know, we're back to people valuing their 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 heavy rotation the most again. I don't have any interest really. The truth is, I don't have. Any interest in what's new and shiny anymore? There's happens to be some great, you know, babuji's. It's totally cool, it's new Indian filling restaurant. Filling my
2: Instagram feed with roti all <laughs> and day it's, long, and
3: it's, it's so cool, and it's like so vibrant and alive in there. But and I, that's a place I, I look forward to going back. But I don't have any interest in all these new shiny places anymore. I don't think people do as much anymore because. If there's a couple of places that you can go to and you know you're going to get the set food that you love and they're going to op- they're going to welcome you with open arms, those are the places you're going to go to. And so I, th- I actually think the idea of repeat business and showing the restaurants that you love love back is a really um, wonderful approach these days. And very much I think the good news is is how people are thinking about their restaurant choices uh, totally different from the way they were five ten years ago.
2: I think it's also the break point between you go to a new place for the entertainment and the discovery and you go to the place you love to have that great experience. And it's almost might be, you know, we've spent so much time with restaurants as entertainment now, we can now have different categories of restaurants where there is an entertainment category, which is the big ticket place where you actually might be selling tickets, or the brand new place where you know, everybody wants to go see the new show that's open, but then when it really comes to the comfort and the hospitality and the thing you know and love, then we now have the, the regular rotation.
3: No question about it.
2: I always like to have a reservation. You know where I'm eating tonight? Where is that? Mineta Tavern.
3: There you go.
2: <laughs> I'm going to have the burger.
3: As well you should.
2: <laughs> well, I want to thank Ben Leventhal for coming out and talking to us about Resi and also a little bit of the State of the Union for Restaurant Tech and – food media and new york city this and, was fun jen thanks yeah it was a good time you know i we are we completely completely out of time and we could probably do a whole series we should talk about doing like a restaurant tech boot camp let's do it i want to thank our sponsors for making heritage radio network possible and all of our members and listeners we couldn't do it without you